You're listening to Draft Chaff. Coming up this week. My second beef, though, uh, murders at Markov Manor, MMM triple set symbol. Uh, but it only cared about whether the enchanted thing was a pirate. So sometimes you would accidentally try to debuff your opponent's pirate and you'd buff it instead. Yeah, it also has the added benefit of being a disguise effect, so you can use it in response if you happen to have, say, five mana up. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chap. This is episode number 190. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Not too much. Uh, I'm ready to murder some some killers at Karlov. Um, no, I think okay. you mean Markov. My, the more I've thought <laughs> about this. Okay, I, I, I have some beef with this set already. Why wasn't this set on New Capanna? Like the moment someone pointed this out to me, it became so obvious. All the all the silly hats. This is so much more Nuka Penna. Vibes, all the right? silly hats. Yeah, like silly it's, hats it's, in a set. It must be on Nuka Penna. Well, I mean, Art Deco style. Like, oh, no, lady, this kind of hats. It would make more <laughs> sense there, wouldn't it? <laughs> I suppose it would have. I think. I think it feels like it should have, and also there was like a a recent post from. Um, from Morrow that said, you know, people were asking essentially, why was there no police force in Street Capenna? Uh, new Streets, New Capenna, geez, Streets, New mm. Capenna. And he basically responded with, well, there was going to be, but the time the set released, if you remember, there's a lot of, shall we say, publicity around police forces. Um, yeah, not, not the know. best. Not really. And something... So they, they scrapped it. Interesting. To avoid okay. the political mess that that was likely to be, probably I, I a guess good so, idea. Yeah. No one really wants like a an abuser as a game piece. Although Magic did that once in the past too. Cough, cough. Walking Dead Secret Lair. Uh, but I, I guess this is a, a happy medium where it's like, oh yeah, they're they're investigators. They're not like beat cops so much as they are like sleuths. You know. All right. I guess that's fine. Sure. Well, oh. but like it's also like that was years ago. Yeah, New yeah. Capenna, and that that like the kind of civil unrest around what was going on in the real world at that time, while it hasn't completely disappeared, has dissipated a bit. Mm. Um, and so it's probably more palatable to have this sort of thing now as than it was then. I, I just brought that up because it was something that came up recently yeah, and you were mentioning New Capenna. But yeah, I think it probably would have made more sense to have this there. My second beef, though. Uh, Murders at Markov Manor, MMM triple set symbol, easy to remember, so simple. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I saw someone point out, why didn't they call it Murders at Tesa's Manor? Everyone knows who Tesa is. Like, everyone like, oh, Tesa of the Orzov. Like, it's well, but rapid. nobody, yeah, duh. like, that's just not how buildings are named. <laughs> like, nobody does that. Murders at Tesa's Manor. It's way more realistic to call it Karlov Manor than to call it Tesa's Manor. I mean, they would likely be passed down from generation to generation. All right. Mark my words. Should I ever own a manor? Mark off your words. <laughs> Let, let's, um, let's, let's get on with the episode. Maybe <laughs> the long. longest intro we've ever had. Well, before we jump into today's actual episode, our usual housekeeping, of course, if you're not already in the discord, do check it out. It's the best place to be to chat all things MTG. Come post your trophy decks, your what's the picks, We've got a lot of conversation already around the new set, and that also means our bounty board for 
MKM, as it were, is up and running. So we've got 10, which is two more than last time, 10 bounties this time around. And they're, shall we say they're varying in complexity. Some are likely to never be achieved. And yes, that is a challenge. So jump in there and see if you can figure those out. But um, we're excited. Some people have already started claiming them. And so, uh, you know, you've, you're, if you haven't, you're a little behind, but you can still claim ones that others have claimed. They, they're not a uh, first come first serve. So jump in there, check that out. You can see that in our bounty boards channels and, uh, the link to the discord is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, maybe help us boost the prize pool for those bounty boards. You can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Huge thanks to each and every one of you patrons who continue to support us every single week. We are just incredibly grateful for all of you help continue to keep us doing this. Perks over there include things like show notes, our pre-show recordings, private channel for draft discussions and pick help, as well as even potentially drafting our cube with us and our favorite, the draft chef hero stickers. We're going to have to start putting some thought Ben into which, fun character i've got some ideas but we'll also maybe have to see the data but when our draft chaff hero comes out you can look forward to another sticker until then you can still grab itskin if you haven't already signed up you can still get yourself an itskin sticker once the new draft chaff hero sticker is released that's it itskin is gone you won't be able to get the old ones but you will get all the new ones as long as you continue to be a patron so check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff all right, under a crack draft type thing, Ben. We've got a new draft and a new booster type. Yeah, uh, play boosters are here. They are live, and I'll be honest, I don't remember what every single slot is. Uh, is it nine commons now? Or I think so. That's going to take some time uh, to get used to, to be honest. But it's something like that. Nine commons, still three uncommons. They reduced the number of commons available, I think, in the packs, but didn't reduce the number of uncommons. Still. Mm-hmm one rare guaranteed but you can get quite a few more than that yeah i think it's up to four mythics and or rares that you can you can get in a pack but one guaranteed i don't i guess that does make opening packs more fun uh and this this pack this i'll I'll warn you now it's got multiple rares let's get right into it our first common out is cold case cracker the uh, four mana three three flying Uh, and when it dies you investigate i really like this one so far yeah just a really good rate solid card yeah I mean, it's a format of three, three flyer that hasn't actually gotten type. outgunned yet. Yeah, that's true. It is a detective dies uh, into and, a relevant thing as well. Cause it's the, you know, there are a lot of cards in the format that care about, you know, yeah. artifacts being sacrificed. Yeah. Really solid. Next is they went this way. That's the two and a green sorcery. You tutor out a basic land, put on the battlefield tapped shuffle and then investigate. Uh, don't know about this one. I haven't really seen it played much yet. If there is a five-color green deck that pops up in this format, you might play one of these, but like, there's also other more efficient ways to do the same effect while also adding more effectively to the board and just more efficiently, so not, not super high on this. This one, though, is tasty. Red Herring. One of the red, 2-2 two, two haste. It's a clue fish. Uh, it attacks each combat if able, I guess because it's like trying to jump up the river. Is that... Yeah, maybe that seems reasonable. I don't know. Robot fish doesn't seem like a great combo. I feel like something could <laughs> go wrong there pretty easily, but you can also sack it because it's a clue. You pay two, sack it, draw a card. Big fan of this one. Uh, I saw this one played at pre-release to very strong effect. Uh, plus, yeah, it is yeah. a creature with power two or less, which triggers a lot of stuff in, in uh, 
white if you pair this with, with white. And that's a natural pairing. Red-white seems like it's going to be pretty good in this format. Yeah, two mana, two, two with haste. Pairs well with combat tricks because it has to attack, so difficult for your opponent to think you're keeping something up. And then you can always just sack it, you know? And I'm sorry, but I could, as soon as I read the type line on this card, the first thing that came to mind was one fish, two fish, red fish, clue fish. <laughs> nice. Next up is Unscrupulous Agent, who's apparently not really uh, concerned with stealth. One of the black, one, one, uh, elf detective at common. When it ETBs, target opponent exiles a card from their hand. Exile being relevant because this means they can't just pitch a big card to, uh, collect evidence away later so yeah it seems like a good card they, they print this in like 70 percent of sets and it's always pretty stops pretty solid uh it's a guaranteed two for one the question is how will you make use of that that one one body and in this set there are ways to do it uh just making a one one can trigger a bunch of things in black and white uh, or maybe you could use it to chump block well and, and then eventually collect evidence this thing away seems good this next one's pretty sick. Inside source, the two and a white one one ETB make a detective, the two two. And then you can pay three, tap it to give a detective plus two plus so in vigilance until end of turn at sorcery speed. I don't even really care about that other thing. You could probably just stop it. Two mana one one ETB make a two two. That alone is probably good enough. Well, and it's not even just that. It's two two with a relevant type. And yeah, two bodies which are gonna trigger all your less than two power or less things in mm -hmm. the black white colors and such yeah it seems super solid we have this pegged for top three white commons and i'm pretty confident that it'll get there yeah um solid card the question is does this bump down the cold case cracker for you do you take this over the cold case cracker i am inclined to say yes but they're both pretty good yeah it's pretty tough uh, we're going to talk about pre-release in a bit, but I, I liked my pre-release deck and it had a cold case cracker in it and an inside source in it. I liked the cold case cracker a little more. The flyers mm. felt pretty good, you know, the old adage, but uh, cold case cracker felt like a pretty beefy flyer in games where a, a lot of times the ground kind of got gummed up with like little one ones, like inside source. Things like this, people playing these black white decks that just have tons of little one ones, one twos, two ones running around. Cold Case Cracker just kind of ignored all them and just went to the mm -hmm. skies, uh, whereas Source was kind of like the, the thing gumming up the ground. I think they're both good. I'd probably take the Cracker, but I could be totally wrong on that. That's just my day, day zero intuition. We haven't even played a draft yet. Yeah, I mean, hey, you don't have to do much to convince me to take a 3-3 flyer, so. <laughs> Spirit probably uh, adding yep, to that. Yep, that too. Sanguine Savior's next. One white black for a 2-1 flying lifelink. It's a vampire cleric common. It is disguised for white-black, white-black hybrid, so two mana. Uh, and then when it's turned face up, another target creature you control gains lifelink until end of turn. Yeah, I mean, in black-white, you're not giving like a 5-5 five, five lifelink, probably. You're more, like, more likely giving like a 1-1 one, one or a 2-2 two, two lifelink. So this isn't a huge swing, but it's something. It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of fine. I mean, it's still a 3-mana 2-1 flyer with lifelink, which is relevant. Um, it's going to trigger all your less than like, power, less than two stuff. You could disguise it when you need to, but you also don't really have to pretty much ever. Mm -hmm. So it's flexible. There are a lot of multicolor cards in this format with uh, quite a few of them at common. And then of course, uncommon and also at rare. So there are a lot of them floating around. And so I, I feel like we're going to see a lot of these, um, uh, probably would just rather take the cold case cracker and stay 
monocolored, keep the flyer thing going, but then also like keep way open. I mean, cold case cracker does not point you into very specific vector directions. So mm-hmm. the, it gives your options are, are quite open with that. Whereas sanguine savior not only is to color, but then also really wants you to be doing something specific with it. So. Yeah. Something kind of cool about these hybrid mana flip cards. It is two color, right. but it's also kind of like white and also black so it's better than taking yeah. like a strict gold card although this that's one that's true you can play this in a monocolored deck and just be relatively happy with it i mean this one does feel like it pins you because it the black white color pair cares about the two power two or less thing yeah yeah i'm, I'm a little suspicious of this one just because the strength of flip cards is that it gives you something to do both early and late it's like a late game mana sink to flip your six disguise cost thing that's like something to do in the late game where sanguine mm-hmm. savior you kind of have to pick on turn three like i guess you can play it face down and then flip it up cheap later but it's not really giving you a ton of benefits uh right and like wouldn't you rather just play it face up turn three most of the time most of the time i think yes i, I think you would the occasions where i could see maybe you don't are like you're at a board stall or you're maybe a little behind and you want to get a blocker down, but then the lifelink will help you by, like, if you can give a bigger creature lifelink. Problem is, this deck really wants, uh, like, uh, critical mass of two powered creatures. So, mm-hmm. how many big things that you want to give lifelink do you even have in your deck? Probably one, if that. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. I need to kind of see how this plays out um, to understand how highly i want to take it but otherwise it seems yeah. just fine i i think it's a passable common yeah if, if it goes unanswered i mean this could like gaining two a turn and hitting for two a turn seems sick but there's also shock in this set which kind of makes this look right. embarrassing last common here already wow is magnifying glass this is a reprint three mana it's an artifact it taps to add colorless or you pay four tap it and investigate seems pretty bad except if you have the agency outfitter the sphinx that tutors out this and the uh like detective's hat and then you can tap the glass to equip the hat on the sphinx immediately and, and basically makes it into a six mana five five flyer it's a pretty cool little mini combo that happens um that being said i i don't think you'd take this unless you had the outfitter and i think even going down that line of like a three card combo that doesn't work if you draw one of the pieces that's that's risky unto itself. It's kind of funny, but um, I, I wouldn't play this in my deck just straight up. Yeah. Our first uncommon just really, really domed me during pre-release. Vengeful Tracker. One in a red, 2-2. Two, two. Whenever an opponent sacrifices an artifact, Vengeful Tracker deals two damage to them. Oh, wow. Two mana, 2-2. Two, yeah, two, detective. Nasty. Yeah. Uh, my opponent played this. And I had two clues in the battlefield and I looked at my hand and I had two other cards that made clues. I'm thinking like, man, my opponent's red white deck is they don't even have to attack me. I'm just going to kill myself. <laughs> like, obviously, I'm cracking my clues. So, this is the kind of card hmm. that that really gets you to like, unless you're paying attention, like you can yeah. play like if your opponent plays this on two and you're still at 20 life, you're like, oh, fine, you know, I'll crack my clues, whatever. And then suddenly you look down and you're like at eight life and your opponent has this board of things that can actually attack pretty well and you're just like wait how did i get here yeah i mean this is all just kind of for free uh also i'm thinking like 
Do you think commander players are going to be mad about this one? Like the ones that love tread, like think like, uh, like Dockside extortionist players who love mm-hmm. making 50 treasures and then sacking them all and wheeling. And like, this yep. is actually pretty good hate, right? Yep. As a, as a, as a prosper player. <laughs> yes. I am not a fan of this card for that yeah. reason, but next eh, up, it's a two, two. I'll just kill it. <laughs> next up is evidence examiner green, blue for a two, two Merfolk detective at the beginning of combat on your turn, you may collect evidence for and then when you, whenever you collect evidence, investigate. Now, at pre-release, I didn't actually see anyone playing this. Uh, so I can't speak to how good it was. That being said, I was in the winner's bracket for most of pre-release. So maybe that's some indication of why I didn't see it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> we were pretty low on this card in the format breakdown. This is yeah. the, the, sign, the vector signpost for blue-green. And it does feel like it does a whole lot of nothing yeah like too many moving parts like a lot of setup and then a payoff that like still requires you to pay a bunch of mana when this is at its best which is what vector theory asks us to do right imagine when this is at its best it's when you stock your graveyard and you have time to crack clues i i don't think that's really going to come up that often in the set when it does this card will be excellent but it definitely doesn't look good against red white and um you know dog walker that thing was the probably the most impressive card that i saw of the night so far uh dog walker really just flattens evidence examiner makes it look kind of silly like you want to spend mana to crack clues and like waste time milling sure go ahead the dogs are coming uh last uncommon here burden of proof one in the blue uh for an aura at uncommon it is flash enchant creature and it says Enchanted Creature gets 2-2, two, two, uh, plus 2, plus 2, as long as, it, as it's a detective that you control. Otherwise, it is base power and toughness 1-1 one, one and can't block detectives. Hmm. Uh, so this is kind of cool because no matter what of your opponents you put it on, uh, it, it always is a 1-1. One, one. There was another Sea Legs. It, it, it was similar to this in Old Ixalan. Uh, but it only cared about whether the enchanted thing was a pirate. So sometimes you would accidentally try to debuff your opponent's pirate and you'd buff it instead. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is is the fail-proof version of that. Uh, this will always buff your thing 2-2 two, two, as long as your thing is a detective, which is not very hard to do. Uh, I, I really blew people out with this one. I mean, if you're playing blue-red, they don't usually see a permanent combat buff coming. So I, mm-hmm. I was pretty impressed with this one. Yeah, this is nice. I mean, it's it's very situate like situational in a good way. Like you, you, it's flexible. You can play it to buff your stuff if you ha- your opponent has a threat. You can play it to get rid of that, and then it also pseudo buffs your own stuff too because now that thing can't block stuff you you care about. Um, so in the right deck, this is really good. You still mm-hmm. want to have a lot of detectives for this de- this card to be useful. If you have no detectives, it does stone cold nothing. Well, I guess it still makes your opponent's thing a one one. Which isn't nothing. But yeah. It would it would be able to block. And so yeah, I guess it turns it into a murder or something. Which is still pretty yeah. good. It doesn't negate abilities though. I and mean, these effects typically uh, yeah. we see like it removes static abilities, removes all abilities or whatever. This doesn't do that. So it just resets power and toughness. It doesn't change their type lines or anything like that. So just keep that in mind when you're playing something like this. It is a bit different than we're used to and still quite good. Um but that is that is a, a caveat to to keep in mind. I think it's the pick so far, actually. 
Like I, I think it's a really yeah. flexible removal or pump spell. And you know, for blue, that's pretty solid. You do want to be like attacking with things for this to work and hopefully with detectives. But this still has the like two for one problem though, doesn't it? What do you mean? Where like you try to do this and your opponent blows it out? Yeah, like I don't know. They could snipe the creature out from under it while it's on the stack. I guess the fact that it has flash means that you could probably eat or ambush one of their attackers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, so you're going to get at least the one for one there. But it's an aura. Like you're still attaching an aura to your creature. I guess if you put it on their creature. Yeah. Yeah. You may be one for one. But. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I see there's a risk for sure. But the play pattern that I found was you were usually doing this while you were attacking and your opponent was tapped out and you, you felt like you were going to be able to resolve this safely, either shrinking their thing down to die in combat or ideally buffing your detective so that it stays big in combat. I mean, keeping something as a plus two plus two, uh, is pretty huge for like a blue flyers deck. Like imagine putting some cold case cracker as they're about to trade like theirs for yours. All of a sudden you're keeping your five, five flyer around and, and now, um, like there, there's his dead. I was impressed yeah. with this one. No, I, I think I think at its best, like this card is really good. It was just auras always make me waver a little bit, right? I just want to. Yeah. I'm worried about getting two for one with auras. This does seem like a pretty solid one, and the fact that it has flash means that you can be really flexible with it. And the fact that it affects both your creatures and your opponents makes it even more flexible. So, I agree. I think it is the pick here, but just a bit of a concern that uh it does have some blowout potential well it's the pick for now let's see if one of our uh three rares can dethrone it man uh first up thundering falls that's the red white dual land when it etvs you surveil one and it has both basic land types i actually have one of these in my pre-release uh, deck as well it does as advertised pre- uh, uh getting the surveil is really good yeah especially in a set that cares about you know, collecting evidence and such. Yeah. Uh, getting getting to stock your graveyard is pretty solid and playing this early so that you don't draw your six drop and you can just surveil it away. Also very good. It's also fixing. So yeah, a lot's going for this like rare cycle of lands. Um do you first pick a land in this format? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. I would take it maybe like fifth or sixth though, if it, if it made it that far. Yeah. Uh, next up, Case of the Ransacked Lab. Two and a blue. It's a, an enchantment case. Uh, and it says instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast. Okay. That effect is not usually great in, in limited, you know? Yeah, you really need to build your deck casting. around it. Yeah. Uh, to solve, you've cast four or more instant and sorcery spells this turn. That's a lot. That just, that just doesn't happen <laughs> in draft. Yeah, that's a lot. Like, most most decks don't even have that many total. I mean, it, unless you're playing like literal blue, blue red. And then it says solved. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, draw a card. This I think is unplayable. Yeah, I mean, so for listener, if you can't like, it does sound like this is good. Yeah, it makes your instant sorceries cheaper. Your decks that care about your instants and sorceries being cheaper probably play a bunch of them, so you want to play them right, and then you you're going to be able to solve it, and then it makes them cheaper. Here's the problem. As Ben mentioned, A, these decks don't... T- even decks that are built around instants and sorceries and, like, that's the thing of the deck, that's the vector, still probably not playing very many of them, relatively speaking. Once you've solved this, you've already cast four or more of them <laughs> in a turn. 
It's so by like the time half. it's solved, how many do you have left to draw cards from? Yeah. After solving it, probably not very many. So, and that's assuming this comes down on like on curve and you've been able to set up your hands such that you have four of them in hand to even be able to cast, mm-hmm. which may just, even if you have the four of them in hand, you may just never be able to cast them because they're too expensive. Yeah, I would avoid yeah. this. Have fun playing this in your standard decks or like whatever else you're you're trying to goof around with. But yeah, weird probably storm not, not, commander. Yeah, probably limited is not the place for this. Yeah, I I could actually see this working in limited in a set like Strixhaven, where your spells kind of drew you extra instants mm. and sorceries from your sideboard. Um thus like increasing your instant and sorcery density count in a way. But no, not 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 for this set. Yeah, I mean this this card wants to be in a set with like opt and preordained i mean not the preordained's been printed in a while but like it wants to be printed in those cantrippy sets we just even then that first part doesn't really help you if you're casting one mana cantrips no you're exactly right that's true yeah all right so it's a wacky card probably never gonna be good limited uh so two dud rares maybe but uh, our last one i do actually think is a banger forensic gadgeteer two in a blue two three vidalkin artificer detective at rare Whenever you cast an artifact spell, investigate. And activate the abilities of artifacts you control cost one less to activate. This effect doesn't reduce the mana cost uh, to less than one mana. So this basically makes all your clues crack for one. And anytime you cast an artifact, you get a clue. This is obviously going to be nuts in Vintage Cube, uh, which is maybe oh, where yeah. I'm most excited for this. Uh, like the, the Telerian Academy decks are going to go nuts with this. Uh, basically another like third path iconoclast or chrome host seed shark but even in this set there's a lot of just artifact creatures like you take this you wheel the red herring probably seems good <laughs> yeah yeah i mean one mana clue like one mana draw card really good and when yeah. that card when that one mana draw card is drawing you artifacts that then let you draw more cards that's an engine i like to get behind so i'm definitely on gadgeteer here it does feel a bit build aroundy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like a it's like a build around A. And when you don't build around it, it's what, like a C, C plus, B minus? Like it's still really good. You're gonna have artifacts in your deck in this set. Yeah, I think it's gonna be hard not to. Or even if you don't, you're gonna have clues. You're gonna have clues, right. Yeah. Slam the gadgets here here. All right. Well on to our main topic here. We're gonna do a rare roundup for the set. Um basically we'll go through we'll talk through a handful of the rares that caught our eyes and ways that we think they'll fit in the format before we jump into that exactly ben we want to talk about pre-release as well as special guests which is new and should be basically a recurring thing in every set for the foreseeable future yeah honestly i kind of forgot that this was happening until i opened one of these in my pre-release pool and was like uh (laughs) What's this Victimize doing here? So Victimize is one of them. Uh, and these all, I should say, have really, really nice full art, borderless treatments. Uh, it, it was cool to open the Victimize. It looks nice in the packs. So uh, Operation Play Booster Fun, whatever. Yeah, okay. Y- you got me. It was cool to open this. Uh, there's only nine others. Tragic Slip, Show and Tell. Jeez. Uh, mm-hmm. Fabricate, the Artifact Tutor, Ghostly Prison, Gamble. Crashing Footfalls, Tireless Tracker, Drown in the Lock, and Field of the Dead. Some of these are just total stone whiffs for, for this set. I can't imagine playing Field of the Dead in Limited and in like a non-cube environment and having it work. Like, what are you going to do? Play the rare lands? 
I don't know. That that might yeah, be a there, future there aren't enough. I don't. I don't think for Field of the Dead to be effective. Something like Drown in the Lock though could be pretty powerful in this set. Or Tireless Tracker, like that would Tireless be a Tracker massive sure. bomb in this set. Uh, but yeah, uh, these other ones all just seem like whatever. Uh, so these you can open. They're, they're pretty rare, but uh, they are present in the set. And going forward, we should be aware that these will just kind of be showing up. I, I don't know if it's worth talking about them in our maybe like format breakdowns in the future, especially because now we have to factor in cards that are going in and out of the list. We talked about it in the pre-show. It's not worth reading all those. The list is going to be varied and changing, but it sounds like on Arena now. Uh, now, now that right. they're trying to unify the booster experience between arena and paper, which I can respect. Yeah, uh, that is that is something to consider when you're going about your drafts. We are probably not going to talk about the list in the format breakdowns because there are just too many cards on it. It's it's like a set in and of itself. And the, sh- the special guests, I think, maybe will be like something that we slip in about, like, here are the ones to look out for in limited that are worth potentially playing. Um, we mentioned all 10 here. We may not do that in the future, but just be reminded that there these special guests do show up. They will be in sets going forward, and some of them are worth playing. Some of them are worth avoiding. You'll kind of have to suss that out. Let's get into some rares. Let's round some up. I'll start off by talking about some that I had in my pre-release pool. Uh, I played sort of like a Jeskai Skies deck. Felt pretty good. Uh, my mana did end up biting me in the last match though uh it was it was some good games had a lot of fun and uh so far i do enjoy the field of format my pool wasn't the most exciting but the highlight was double steam core scholar that's two and a blue for a two two weird detective rare it's got flying and vigilance and when it enters the battlefield you draw two cards then discard two cards unless you discard an instant or sorcery or a creature card with flying now, it's actually pretty easy to have one of those in hand when you cast this. Uh, instant Sorcery or Flyer. There's a lot of cards that fall under that. <laughs> and a lot of good ones, too. So these are the types of cards you put in your deck anyway. Uh, playing two of these in my deck felt great. 2-2 two, two Flying Vigilance that, that loots you a bunch, like drawing two and getting the filthier hand in the early game. This card was just like a super solid inclusion. It's not like a game-winning bomb. But when you mm-hmm. play this, it feels like, oh, yeah, I'm setting up my game plan a lot better than my opponent is. Yeah, I mean, this does seem to be the kind of thing that's going to fuel getting your game plan going, getting that engine running and my kind of cards. So I could definitely see how putting two of them together is going to win you games. Yeah. Uh, I also had a Lamplight Phoenix in my pool. The one red, red, three, three flyer. It's a Phoenix at rare. Uh, and when it dies, you may exile it and collect evidence for. If you do, return it to the battlefield tapped. A little bit of a bummer. I mean, most phoenixes have a way to return themselves from the graveyard. Uh, right. That don't include dying. So there was a moment where I had the opportunity to pitch phoenix to my Steven Core Scholar. And I was like, obviously, I want to do that, right? But then I reread it and I was like, eh, actually, this thing has to die for this to happen. That being said, this is still an excellent card. The mana cost is a little restrictive. Uh, with the double red pips and there's not a ton of free fixing in non-green colors in this set so you gotta be kind of careful with that but a three mana three three flyer with a way to keep bringing itself back super strong yeah the timing on this one is critical because you can't you have you have to do this as it dies you can't like do this retroactively if it died to get to the graveyard Mm -hmm. you're not gonna be able to get it back so that's unfortunate uh, it does feel like the weakest quote-unquote Phoenix effect we've ever seen, or close to that, because you can't just get it back from the graveyard. But 
it does make pointing removal at really awkward, especially if you have, this is almost like a threat of activation Mm -hmm. when you don't actually have to do anything at all. Like as long as you have a four mana creature or spell or whatever in your graveyard, then, or like cards that total four, which is not going to be hard at all. Yeah. Then like, what is your opponent supposed to do? Murder this thing? Like, no, (laughs) you're just going to get it back. So yeah. I would be hesitant to play this. I, I guess you still want to play it on curve, but I feel like I'd feel much more comfortable playing this when I've already got a graveyard with a uh, total mana value for or, or greater. Mm-hmm. Something that's cool about this is that usually these effects say it can't block. This one can. And this one True. is also pretty happy to just sit back and like wait for your opponent to attempt to attack into it with a trick or trade. Because uh, I guess the one benefit about this is that it's a free way to get it back. Like no mana wise. Right. 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 Maybe the other uh, most standout card for my pool was Unyielding Gatekeeper. One of the white three two elephant cleric at rare. Uh, and if you just cast it hard cast, that's actually all it does. Uh, a two mana three two. But it has disguise for one of the white. So if you play it first face down as a three three with ward two. And by the way, ward two kind of significant as far as limited goes. A lot of the removal spells say can't be countered. Uh, I don't know really why they had to do that, but I guess they wanted to balance it somehow. Uh, I don't know. Just keep an eye out for those uh, removal spells that say can't be countered. They are very useful for killing these uh, these disguises. But this thing says, when it's turned face up, exile another target non-land permanent. If you controlled it, return it to the battlefield tapped. Otherwise, its controller creates a 2-2 white and blue detective creature token. So the play pattern for this, you play it on three. You untap, you play another two drop, and you leave this activated ability up. And this means that if your opponent plays a bomb, you exile it and turn it into a 2-2. Yeah, they get that, but it's super flexible because this can hit any non-land permanent. This can take out a Planeswalker. This could take out an enchantment. This could take out an O-ring. Really, anything you need. Uh, And the other hidden bonus is that you can just use this to flicker one of your things, either for value or to save it from a removal spell. Uh, I actually got to do this on my Steam Core Scholar, if I remember right. That was pretty gnarly. I mean, imagine that. Like, they try to kill your <laughs> creature with a good ETB effect. You flicker it. I got to do this to the um, the flying frost links, too. Mm. Uh, and that was obviously game over. Um, I just got to tap their thing down again, hit for a million in the air. So Gatekeeper, having this activated ability up is very strong. I recommend, if you have one of these in your deck... Build in a in a way such that your deck has other ways to use two free mana. One of them is deduce. One of the blue instant draw a card investigate. Uh, there's also a, a two mana uh, counter spell called reasonable doubt. These all pair really well together. These point on the same vector of wanting to leave up two mana on your opponent's turn. Because if you're able to do this, then if you don't flip your uh, your elephant, you can just investigate and draw a card instead. Uh, Actually, deduce, I have a feeling, is going to be a really strong blue common. It seemed to play out really well. Uh, or maybe you leave up, um, uh, what's it called? The counterspell as well. Uh, reasonable doubt, right? So having the ability to leave up that mana and not be forced to use it is, is great. Uh, it played out super well. Yeah, this is also, again, effects that we see that we've gotten kind of used to. Typically, these types of cards will say, like, exile until it leaves the battlefield. This just doesn't do yeah. that. So like the thing that you exile from your opponent is just gone. Like your thing gets flickered if you if you target your own creature or your own permanent. 
but your opponents is just gone. They get the two, two and that's it. So that's great. Cause you, you know, this isn't like a beefy creature. It's pretty easy to die. Shock is in the set, like we said, but yeah, no, their bomb is just gone. One last card I had in my kit that I actually wasn't as happy with was War Leader's Call, which is surprising given what it is. One red, white. It's an enchantment, a rare. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one. And whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, War Leader's Call deals one damage to each opponent. So this is an anthem with upside. And I know it's going to sound nuts that this wasn't great, but I think I have a hypothesis as to why. My deck had a lot of cheap flyers. And I don't think I was going quite wide enough to use this properly. If I was making more tokens, uh, for example, if I had a bunch of dog walkers in my deck, this card would be ridiculous. Making a bunch of one ones, pinging anytime they enter. Uh, there's other cards that make multiple other bodies as well. I think World Leader's Call has a better home. I think it was actually off vector for me. My, my idea was that I was going to use it to buff my cheap flyers. Uh, but what I found was that taking three mana and a, and a card and a turn off to play this effect usually gave my opponent a little more time than I was comfortable with to build out their board and kind of get beefier than my now buffed up creatures. And the pinging didn't really, it didn't really matter in the end. So uh, this is a strong card for sure. But I do think you need to be careful of your vector. Like I said, I was playing a bit of a Jeskai Flyers pile. I, I don't think you should play it in that sort of deck. I think it might be worth just playing in like a red-white, beat-down, go-wide type of deck. Yeah, I mean, this card wants you to have like as many inside sources as possible. Yeah, just yeah. as many ways to make multiple creatures as you can and chip in damage where you can. Because once you're wide enough, the Anthem effect is going to be really useful. In the meantime, you're building your board, pinging them down. That is like a recipe for success. But this sounds very build aroundy. Like, I don't see this fitting in most decks. Now, here's a different red-white card that I do believe you'd actually probably splash. Uh, Aurelia, the Law Above. This one I did not have in my pool, but I had the displeasure of playing against it. This card is nuts. Three red-white, four-four uh, angel at rare. Flying Vigilance Haste. So uh, those Sign of you who have, who've been playing against Sarah Angels for a while, uh, if you give that thing haste, Man, you can just die. Like you, you think you're you're stable, and all of a sudden you're down four in the air, and you're about to take four more next turn. And it's vigilance; you can't even attack back or race it that well. Uh, the, the really strong. But I'm not done. Whenever a player attacks with three or more creatures, draw a card. Mm -hmm. There was a, a turn where my opponent landed this, and the only reasonable thing I could do was suspect Aurelia. I had a card that let me suspect her. Which would be useful, right? It means that she couldn't block and I could attack with my cheap little flyers. But then I realized for me to like actually race, I need to attack with all my flyers. All three of them. But that means letting my huh. opponent draw a card. So I, I only attacked with two. Forcing one to stay back uh, and not get in for as much damage. And then whenever a player attacks with five or more creatures, Aurelia the Law Above deals three damage to each of your opponents and you gain three life. This the actually also works. came up. There was a turn in which I had to attack with only four creatures. Uh, it, it was when I was threatening lethal uh, and it was actually worth letting my opponent draw a card because I didn't want them to just lightning helix me and stabilize a little bit. I wanted to actually get in for the damage and put them to like one or whatever. So uh, really, really strong card. And that's not even counting if they attack with three creatures or five creatures because right. it all triggers then too. This is like an A plus windmill slam. You want to see this pack one pick one and then force red white to go with it. Super really 
nuts card. This is going to be a pet card of mine. I can already tell. Yeah, it looks awesome. Now, uh, <laughs> very first game I sat down to play game one, match one. We sit down. I win the high roll. I'm like, all right, good luck. Have fun. I go to play a card for my hand and my opponent goes, actually, I have a pregame action. <laughs> <laughs> and my jaw hit the ground. I was like, what? What do you mean you have a pregame what action? What format are we playing? <laughs> I forgot there was a ley line in this set. Ley line of the Guild Pact. I, I don't even know if I want to try saying the mana cost of this one. It, it costs four, and you can pay so quad green. It's, it's Selesnia, Simic, Golgari, Gruul hybrid. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Uh, my my opponent played this and they had perfect mana and they proceeded to not use it for anything else. Look, part of the rare roundup is rounding up cards that were both nuts and also maybe giving you some advice on what cards to not put in your deck. You should not put Leyline of the Guild Pact in your deck. Uh, it reads, if it's in the opening hand, you can play it before the game begins. I gotta say that part was awesome. <laughs> Just like this year, yeah. like what is happening? Uh, but each non-land permanent you control is all colors, and it also says lands you control are every basic land type in addition to their other colors. Maybe like week ten of the format, if you have that case that says if you control cards that are like all five colors, you make one of your creatures like flying vigilance double strike or whatever. But I don't even know if that's worth it. This puts you down a card for perfect mana. I don't actually think that's worth it. Yeah. You also, like, by the time you play this, your mana is going to, unless you're playing mostly mono green, which may be the way to do this, you actually just mm. play, like, a, a, a basically a mono green mana base, but then you play a bunch of, uh, like, non-green cards, or you maybe you're splashing a handful of rares that are off color, and you're playing mostly suit. mono green. And then, like, this just turns all your stuff on. But, like, that sounds really risky if you don't draw this or you don't start it with it in your in, on the battlefield. Your deck just kind of doesn't work. And then if your opponent destroys it, your deck kind of doesn't work. And so I think that each non-land permanent you control is all colors thing is almost entirely irrelevant in this format as far as limited is concerned. Mm-hmm. Sure, you can fix all your lands, but, like, maybe just build a deck that doesn't need that. <laughs> Look, let's just save this one for the Pioneer players, um, where Nykthos is legal. And mm. this is basically Leyline of four green pips. Yeah. Another one I had the misfortune of playing against was Judith Carnage Connoisseur. Three red-black for a 3-4 human shaman uh, at rare. And it's a legend, of course. It's Judith, right? Uh, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, choose one. That spell gains death touch and lifelink. Or create a 2-2 red imp creature token with when this creature dies, it deals 2 damage to each opponent. So here's how my opponent played this out. Uh, they played Judith on turn 5. On turn 7, untaps, draws, plays a land, and then uses a Torch the Witness, which is uh, X red. It's a fireball, but it deals twice X damage to target creature. So they tapped out, gained 10 life, or some nonsense like that. Uh, obviously dealt excess damage. Uh, and then got to make a clue as well. Judith really seems strong there. There's other ways to deal damage too. There's like shocks and other, there's like a deal three, a deal four, all that. But honestly, even just making a two-two with that ping effect, if you get that to happen once, Judith is already worth her mana cost. Uh, and then getting to give your stuff lifelink and death touch, like that turns your shock into a spell that can kill anything and gain you life. 
it's really strong card. You got to put some instant sorceries in your deck. If you if you play Judith with only like two or three, she won't perform that well. But honestly, even then, I'd probably still play her. Like, just you need this to trigger once to be happy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, on base, like the stats are not great. Five mana, three four, not where you want to be. But it doesn't really require you to. This isn't like the case that we talked about earlier, where you need to have like infinite instants and sorceries in your deck for this card to be good. At like worst, you get it to trigger once, and this, like Ben said, is still a very playable card at that point. And if you can do any more than that, it's an army in a can. It's infinite removal spell. Like you just you can't go wrong. So yeah, definitely high on my pick order. Here's another one that's actually lower on my pick order. Assemble the players. One in a white enchantment at rare. You may look at the top card of your library at any time. Once each turn, you may cast a creature spell with power two or less from the top of your library. So th- this was an interesting card. I had an opponent that played this. They were playing a, a black-white sort of low-to-the-ground deck. And at first, I was like, oh, man. Like, this is, a, this is dangerous. They can draw a bunch of cards off this. But, but here's the funny thing about this card. Of all the stuff that matters to be cast off the top of the library, things that cost power two or less usually aren't the most dangerous like if they use this to cast a one drop off the top of their deck it's like all right they drew a card but it was a one drop and it's at a certain point in the game those do get outclassed right if you have like a four four lifelink on the field then do you really care how many like one ones and two twos get cast off the top i mean i guess they eventually build up a big board but this also doesn't let you cast instance sorceries lands the green effects will usually let you play lands off the top as well so this one um i think it's actually costed appropriately at two mana it looks kind of scary uh and i guess the joke is that you can you can cast uh disguises off the top with this i think right you can yes you could also cast flash creatures on your opponent's turn yeah true but how many of those are there you know like that's not going to be the most common thing in the world yeah, this one, I saw it in the deck that it was meant to be played in, and it didn't seem awesome. It didn't seem like, like, oh, man, they landed Assemble the Players. I'm just dead. They're flooding me out. I could still see this working, but I, I think you'd probably take it once you're already in this vector. Unlike something like Aurelia or Judith, it's not really one that you slam and go like, oh, boy, time to draft a bunch of these little creatures. It's more like you're already in that deck. Maybe you got like a Delny, which I do actually think is pretty busted. But that's the uh, Panharmonicon one that like doubles all your creature power two or less mm-hmm. things and make them unblockable. Uh, maybe you have like a Delny deck going already. And then pack three, you get past and assemble the players. Then you might play it if you have a high enough density. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I might let someone run the numbers on this and see if it's actually even worth playing, given the number of creatures with a certain power in your deck i mean if you have like 10 in your deck is it even worth playing then like maybe not yeah no i think you want closer to like 14 15 before you're really happy to have this card doing his thing like you almost want this to be your only non-creature besides lands and even then and then you're like running maybe 15 16 lands and you just get to windmill cards off the top the problem is you're also still limited by the amount of mana you have available you don't get to cast them for free. And looking at the top card of your library is essentially not text on the card at all. Mm-hmm. One last card that I had the pleasure of witnessing, uh, not in a game that I was playing, Aurelia's Vindicator. Two white, white for a 4-2, flying lifelink ward two. 
that's a that's just about good enough for me. <laughs> so, yep. card uh, doesn't stop there. It is disguised for X three white. Uh, and when it's turned face up, exile up to X other target creature cards from the battlefield and or creature cards from graveyards. When it leaves the battlefield, return the exiled cards to their owner's hands. So this mm-hmm. is actually a, an old angel that they kind of re-modified. This used to cast like, it cost like seven or something. Uh, it was just like an ETB trigger. But now it's when it's turned face up, which is really cool. So this might seem kind of weird, but the play pattern for this is you turn this face up. Let's say you aim to get disguise, like you pay six or seven for this. That's kind of reasonable, right? Uh, you turn mm-hmm. this face up. Let's say you exile two things. You could exile your opponent's two best creatures, and then you just have a super flying, uh, lifelink, hard to kill, um, like O ring effect, like a um, like a Bane Slayer or something. Or if you want to play it on the safe side, like if you think your opponent has a lot of removal in hand, uh, and you're like, oh, well, I could do this, but they'll just kill it and get their stuff back. Well, they do actually go to the player's hands, so that that kind of is just good right there. But you could instead flip this and then return two creatures from your graveyard exiled under this, and then when she dies, they go to your hand instead. So it's like a double regrowth effect. Really strong, really flexible, basically always good. Four mana, four power, flying lifelink. I mean, this is going to be one of the best cards in the set, if not the best card in the set. Yeah, it also has the added benefit of being a disguise effect, so you can use it in response if you happen to have, say, five mana up. Use it in response to a removal spell to save one of your own creatures. Yeah, you won't get it back right away, but eventually, if they do kill this, you'll get it to hand and you can recast the thing. So, yeah, again, a lot of flexibility with these disguise cards. All right, well, with that, on to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from SSL27 in the Discord, who asks, what are you wearing? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> take notes people this is how you ask a listener question uh actually as as all people who watch the video feed and uh, and all patrons know we record fully nude uh anyway let's get <laughs> to our <laughs> not true not true i'm always wearing khakis um right now i'm currently wearing sweatpants and uh and the striped t-shirt a true yeah, no, also not wearing look. khakis i have gray <laughs> jeans and a black henley on i've been uh, i've been getting more into long sleeve t-shirts i know this this is a bizarre statement to say but my whole life i've never really worn long sleeve t-shirts this is short sleeve um so i'm not even doing it today but like i don't know that, that that's been more my fashion my fashion vector recently so to speak uh, maybe we should have a vector theory fashion episode at some point we could go in an interesting direction with that yeah this actually is a relatively poignant question though because i've been putting a lot of thought into kind of revamping my wardrobe so um we'll we'll see maybe an update on that at some point in the future let's have a, a fashion sign off at some point probably not today but uh, uh how about how about like a, a meet your closet type things but we'll figure it out <laughs> all right on door to fairy Tibble. this is our roses and thorns style segment where ben and i share a high and a low from the past week so ben how's it going I think you haven't gone first in a while. I think it's your turn. Mm. You, you probably have more exciting stuff. You're at a wedding this weekend, right? I did. I didn't even put that in my Teferi, which is probably sad. Um, <laughs> but it, it's actually kind of both uh, for personal reasons that I'm not really going to get into. But it was great um, overall. And it was it was a happy time. Both the, the newlyweds were quite happy. And uh, there we had, they had, you know, their people there to support them. It was a relatively small wedding, which was kind of nice. As an introvert, um, not as much mingling needed, so that was good. And um, 
it was good. I was down in, uh, in South Jersey again. So seeing family and such was nice as well. Got to see some extended family that I haven't seen in a while, um, live on the other part of the country. So definitely that was nice as well. I'm also back in the gym, which has been great. I've been relatively steady. I did miss my Sunday workout because I was at that wedding, but yeah, getting back into it pretty regularly and tracking my food intake and stuff again, like I was for most of last year. So that's feeling great. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Energy levels are rising and that's a good thing. That said, I haven't been sleeping as much as I should. And so I'm actually kind of tired though. I do have energy throughout the day. It's one of those, like, I feel pretty good for most of the day. I wake up a little groggy, feel pretty good for most of the day and then kind of crash pretty hard at night. So I have a late gym, like workout session planned for tonight. I'll be there probably 9 PM, which is not my ideal time, but my schedule right now is ridiculous. So that's when it works. Cool. What's up with you? Well, what have I been doing? Not going to the gym as much. Uh, still been going pretty regularly, but, and, uh, and definitely feeling, feeling it. But, uh, I actually went, uh, on my school's skiing and snowboarding trip over the weekend. That was pretty good. That's my excuse as to why I haven't been in the gym in several days, because man, I don't know how these kids do it. They just like slip and slide and fall on the ice and they pop right back up. Yeah. I, I need a little more time to recover. When you fall snowboarding, you fall hard. Like, and, and someone who grew up surfing, I missed the sweet embrace of the ocean as you, as you dive off the wave. That I'm very used to. Maybe I'm just used to it. Maybe someone who did the vice versa would say the opposite. Uh, but that was both Teferi and Tibble. Teferi, uh, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, I'm really crushing that bunny hill at this point. <laughs> getting, getting pretty good. Nice. Uh, tif, uh, Tibble, in that my knees are just all bruised from falling in the snow. Man, ice hurts. Um, other Teferi this week, I had an observation. You know, the bane of all teachers uh from with someone from like one of my bosses 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 whatever uh but it was with my best class and uh, i say we because it's always a collaborative effort between my class and myself but we crushed it it was sick like not a thing went wrong and i knew it as it was happening i knew it was going well so that's that's just the best feeling uh civil i have a new class uh a teacher uh left for personal reasons so i took on that class and that means that uh I have significantly more work to do, and that is slowly wearing away at me. Uh, and we'll see how long uh, that that does. I am getting paid extra. You know, that's something teachers do when they take on an extra class like this. But it means that I have way less free time and a lot more interaction time during the day. So I'll get used to it. Um, but it's been rough. Well, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Do check out the Discord if you haven't already. Jump into those bounty boards. Let us see the achievements you're getting as well as your trophy decks and such. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Help us boost those prize pools for the bounty boards as well as get your hands on a nice custom draftchaff hero sticker all over there at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. And you can find us on social media on Twitter at draftchaffpod. Thanks, folks, and we'll catch you next week. All right, real quick, before we bounce, did you happen to see anything about the Grammys? I did. I saw I saw a bit. Um, I didn't watch the Grammys, but I did see there was uh, there was there was some kerfuffle uh, in a few different ways. Uh, T Swift bringing it home as as she does. Um, yeah. Now the sole possessor of most Grammys for best album ever. I think at four, she like beat mm. out 
Stevie Wonder and Frank Sinatra and a handful of others. Wow. There's like a five or six way tie for three. Now she's at four. So she is the leader there. Also picked up Grammy 13 and 14. I believe she did this season. Ridiculous. Miley Cyrus won one for her song flowers or maybe more than one. And there was some drama around people covering their mouths when they were talking, because there are a lot of lip readers now who are like analyzing footage of celebrities at these events and like making all sorts of drama about them online. I hadn't heard that. Like they're yeah. doing what now? So like, you know how football coaches or like baseball players will cover their mouth when they're talking. So as to prevent yeah. opponents from reading lips yeah, and yeah. like understanding what they're doing. So that's kind of what happened. Like people have been professional lip readers have been like breaking down and analyzing footage of celebrities in public settings or pseudo public settings and like talking about them on TikTok. So hmm. to prevent and like it's caused some drama even when they get it wrong. But like to what end? To like try to make predictions about like what, what or like draw things. Yeah, just like drama like, stuff. Like one thing I one one example I had heard was that like one one lip reader saw some clip of like John Krasinski talking to his wife and that lip reader thought he said I can't wait until we get a divorce another lip reader came out and said that they thought that he said I can't wait until we get indoors <laughs> and so it's just like stirring up all this stuff That's and causing ridiculous. a bunch of random drama on the internet um and you know I guess that's the stuff people are into these days so um but now so so celebrities are at these events are covering their mouths while they talk to each other like uh yeah, Taylor Swift and, a few, and someone else she was talking with they were holding up like black fans to their mouths so you cameras couldn't see what they were what their lips were saying huh. yeah crazy world we live in yeah uh as for as for T Swift's win for midnights um more like mid nights because it's not her best but i i I like some taylor swift here and there um i I was actually pretty happy about um the billy eilish win for what was i made for gorgeous song uh flowers i i think i listened to some of that but i was like it's just kind of fine uh i was kind of gunning for olivia rodrigo there uh i was very happy about the um uh, the Boy Genius wins, right? Uh, also, the Paramore win. Uh, Boy Genius won for Not Strong Enough. Real good song. And I think the record won Best Rock Album. Uh, good for Paramore for, for still crushing it after all this time. Uh, that's, a, that's a bit of a reference in itself. And also, Jack Antonoff, uh, who's of Bleacher's fame, but also has done production work for like uh, Taylor Swift, but also... Um, like the 1975 and, and uh, Lana Del Rey, I think recently too. Uh, he's a great producer. Yeah, all this stuff kind of sounds the same, but it's all really good. So ha- happy about those wins as well. Uh, if you have any Grammy hot takes, or I think we'll put a pin in the Oscars. We'll, we'll leave that one for later. But uh, if you have any hot takes, drop them in the random section of this one.